0: We're in Matthew chapter 25, so I'm going to ask you to multitask a little bit today, pass the basket, and open your Bible to Matthew 25. I realize I'm asking a lot of you. I also want to remind you that if you have preschoolers or kindergartners right now, uh, Gwen has a little bit of a a program for them if you want to send them. And so Gwen's in the back right there. You can just send them with her right now, and she'd love to, to take them on back during the message and do that with them. Alright, Matthew chapter 25. We are continuing in our series on Give Your Life Away. And so uh, as we begin this morning, as our ushers uh, just continue passing the baskets here and finish up, uh, it's important for me to pray (laughs) before I preach because um, it allows me to uh, pray that God would do great things this morning. So would you just pray with me again? Heavenly Father, God, we quiet our souls, and and I thank you for that incredible time of worship through singing. God, it is our desire as a church that the name of Jesus would be lifted. It's our desire to make disciples who would build relationships and take the gospel to the world around them. And so, Lord, it's our desire as a church that we would give our lives away. This morning, we need your word to help us do just that. Would you overwhelm us, God, with the sense of your spirit? We know your spirit is here. He never leaves. Holy Spirit, um, thank you for indwelling all those who believe in you. All those who believe in Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would enlighten our hearts to your word. Make the word make sense to us. Spirit, be with my words that they would accurately reflect your desire for this church. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have this uh, series, six weeks, we're in week number five, so we're coming to an end here. And uh, next week will will be the last one, give your life away. On week one of our series, we saw that God was a God who gives his life away. There's a foundational concept that God gives his life away, so we should give our lives away as well. The second week, we looked at that God wants us to give our lives away to believers, to the church. In fact, we said you can't give your life away to the world unless you're ready to give your life away to the church. The third week we talked about then give your life away to the world. Specifically, we looked at how God's kingdom is breaking through this world into us, through us into this world, and we get to be a part of that. And uh, last week, Nick uh, handled part two of give your life away to the world, where he really specifically talked about the idea of missions, about giving our life away to the world because the world needs to know the saving knowledge of Jesus. This week, we're talking about give away your resources. And then next week, we're talking about, uh, we're going to wrap it up and, and talk about obstacles to giving your life away. I know some of you are a little bit different, but most people I know don't like waiting. Most people don't like waiting. For example, my daughter for Christmas got a gift card to eBay. So on eBay, she plugged in her money and bought an original, authentic, vintage strawberry shortcake doll. Some of you, you know, from the early 80s, some of you girls remember those. The, the, it smells, you know, the strawberry short. She was so excited about this vintage strawberry shortcake doll. Every day, in, she would come home from school and she'd go, Dad, is the mail here yet? And I said, um, yes, it's here, and no, you didn't get your package. Oh, she'd pout and trudge back in the house. The next day, she'd come home, Mom! Did the mail come today? Yes, she didn't. I mean, it was just torture for her. Every day, dejected, rejected. It was awful. And so, one day, uh, when the package finally came, we hid it from her, of course, you know, (laughs) and sprung it out on her. And she was so happy to get her authentic strawberry shortcake doll. Uh, Nobody likes waiting. They create um, whole rooms for waiting. If you've noticed this, it's called a waiting room. This is what I feel like uh, when at the waiting room. I mean, have you seen a waiting room like that? Maybe not that nice of a couch, but uh, no, no one likes to be in a waiting room. You're bored. You sit there. I always wondered, if I make an appointment to see the dentist at 8, why, does I, do, why do I not get called back till 8.15? Why did I just make the appointment at 8.15? I can't stand the waiting room. Maybe you're like that. You can get rid of that picture. Um, when I'm in the waiting room, I'm looking... For every available resource to make my weight less painful. So when I'm in the waiting room, I'm sitting there, and you know, I'll grab a magazine and look at that till I feel bored. I'll stare at the fish in the fish tank. They usually, fish tank it's soothing fish tank. Um, I don't know how we survived waiting rooms without smartphones. Now I can grab my smartphone and play Words with Friends, all the while trying to look like I'm busy and doing something important because I'm too busy to, you know waste my time in a waiting room. You know, we hate waiting. We hate waiting rooms. Waiting room, the biggest object of a waiting room is to make the experience pain-free. Pain-free, we use whatever resources we can in in a waiting room to make it more pleasant. There's many Christians who view life as a waiting room. It occurs to me as I think about waiting rooms that for many Christians, our concept of the kingdom of God is a lot lot like a waiting room. The purpose of this life for many Christians is simply to wait till Jesus comes back. The purpose of this life is simply to wait. We think we're sinners, we believe in Jesus, we pray to prayer. Now what? And for many Christians, the answer is, well, I'm a Christian now. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. People keep telling me the dates and they keep being wrong. And so I'm just waiting, and I guess I'll wait till he comes back or I die. And so Christian, the Christian life for many seems to be in this grand waiting room where we're trying to use all of our resources and all the things available to us to make our wait more pain-free. Some of us unintentionally view this life as a waiting room until Jesus comes back. And so, like in a waiting room, we try to make ourselves more comfortable in life. We use whatever resources we have available in life to pass the time until we either die or until Jesus comes back. So we spend our free time on ourselves. We spend our free money on our pleasures. We use our talents for our own personal gain. We figure that Jesus is coming back. We might as well enjoy ourselves while we wait. In the waiting room, we try to make ourselves more comfortable. That's how many Christians view life as a waiting room. It occurs to me that there's a very different illustration of what the Christian life should be like. While many of us view the, the waiting room for the kingdom of God to come, the Christian life, in fact, should be a battlefield. The waiting room and the battlefield are two entirely different things. In a battle, a soldier uses whatever resource he has available to fight for a greater cause. In the heat of a battle... A good soldier in the heat of a battle doesn't just use his weapon for target practice. He doesn't just use his his weapon and enjoy himself in the heat of a battle. He's trying to take down the enemy. He doesn't use his radio to chit-chat with his friends. He's calling in an artillery strike. He doesn't use his MREs for their meal rations, for their taste. (laughs) He uses them to fuel his body so a good soldier can fight. A good soldier doesn't run just to get his endorphins pumping. He's on a mission. He's running somewhere with a purpose. A good soldier recognizes that every resource he's been given is for a greater purpose. Every resource is for accomplishing a greater mission. I want you to remember one thing today. I want you to remember that as believers in Christ Jesus, all of our resources ultimately belong to God. Using these resources as they were intended brings God glory and us joy. Every resource you have ultimately belongs to God. Now, how you use that is really important. If you use your resources as God intended... They bring God glory and you joy. If you use them as they were not intended, you may think you have joy, but you don't understand real joy. You're in a waiting room. God gives us resources. Are we using them in the waiting room or on the battlefield? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable about three guys. Three guys. Two were on the battlefield. One was in the waiting room. In Matthew chapter 25, working up to this point, I always tell you it's important to grab context. So what was Jesus saying up to Matthew 25, up to the verses we're going to talk about, starting in verse 14? Well, up to this point, Jesus has been talking to his disciples. In in chapter 24, Jesus says uh, that there's a bunch of signs that will point to the end of the age. The disciples still don't really understand at this point what Jesus came to do, what he was about. They're still trying to grasp it. So they said, you know, Jesus, when is the kingdom that you're talking about, when is it coming? They think... At this point in their heads, they probably are thinking, when does the kingdom come, meaning Jesus, when are you going to sit up on the throne and kick the Romans' butt and make Israel back into the grand state it should be? And so uh, they're asking Jesus this, and Jesus gives them these all kinds of crazy signs of the end of the age. And I don't think the disciples had any clue how to process those at the time. And then he says in chapter 24, he says, Keep watch and be ready be ready. These signs, I'm giving you these signs so that you can be aware. Be ready. Then he talks about, he gives a, a parable of about 10 virgins in chapter 25. And these 10 virgins are waiting for the wedding party to show up for the wedding. And these 10 virgins, as was the tradition, had oil for their lamps and they fueled their lamps. And, and Jesus, or the, the, the bridegroom in this picture, Jesus tells us the bridegroom was delayed in coming, showing up for the wedding. And so only five of them were prepared. Only five of these virgins brought extra oil to put in their lamp. The other five said, when, when the bridegroom was delayed, said, Oh, my goodness, we weren't prepared. What do we do? Jesus is talking and pointing to the signs of the kingdom. And he says, listen, how you wait is important. How you wait is important. Be prepared. Now, when we get to this parable in, ch- in the last half of 25, we're going to see Jesus transition to tell us that how we wait is important. Not only be prepared, but how we use our resources while we wait is important. In fact, Jesus is going to point to the the difference between a waiting room and the battlefield. And so in in, uh, verse 14, we see uh, what happens. Jesus, again, a parable is a story. So Jesus is telling a made-up story. This didn't really happen. He's making up the story for a point. And he says... In verse 14, he says, again, this kingdom, this coming, this waiting room, this battlefield, this waiting period until Jesus comes back where you're supposed to be prepared and you're supposed to use your resources while you wait effectively. This will be like a man going on a journey. This man calls his servants and entrusted his property to them. To the one servant he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So you see here that this man, he's a wealthy man. He's a landowner. Not everyone was a landowner in in Jesus' time. He has servants. This man is apparently a very wealthy man. The man needs to go away, and he needs to leave all his assets behind. And so as as a good steward of his money, the man goes, I don't want my money to just sit here and do nothing while I'm gone. I want my money to be working for me. So he takes his vast sum of money, and he puts in servants in charge. And he takes these three servants, and he says, Okay, I've taught you how to manage money. Go invest my money. I want it to make money for me while I'm gone. And so each according to his ability, these these servants get a certain amount of money. They get a talent. Now, the word talent is kind of confusing to us. Because when we think of talent, we think of America's Got Talent or a talent show. Or some kind of great ability that I have, you know? The kind of thing where I can make milk squirt out my eyeball or whatever, stupid pet tricks, you know? We think of talents being abilities. Uh, th- that's not the talent that Jesus has in mind here. A talent in Jesus' day was actually a weight of measure. It's like we say a ton or a gross or something. It's a, it's a lot. It's a ton. And uh, G- Jesus is saying that this man gave them a talent. It's not a coin. It's not a particular size of dollar bill. It was a weight. So he took out some money, some probably gold, silver, or bronze. He put it on a scale. It weighed a talent. And then he handed it to each one. Now, this is tricky because it's tricky to know how much money that this master actually gave his servants. Uh, Jesus is a little bit vague here, and, and that's kind of important <laughs> because Jesus is, is trying to not get us tied up into how much the amounts were, but it depends on whether the talent was gold, silver, or bronze. Obviously, a weight amount of gold would be worth a lot more than a weight amount of silver, and a weight amount of silver would be a lot more than a weight amount of bronze. And so we don't know exactly how much money was here. I'm going to go, the disciples don't understand this at this point. I'm going to go, I'm going to die and raise from the dead. I'm going to go to the Father in heaven, and it's going to be a long time. How you wait is important. It's going to be a long time. Two of the servants didn't grow tired of waiting. You notice that? They kept using their resources for the master's pleasure. But the things of this earth are small compared to eternal things. Or do you remember that when you slay back and you go, I've set it all up. My debt's paid. I've got sweet amounts of money in the bank. I'm set up. I don't need to rely on anybody. (laughs) Do you remember that the things of this world are small compared to the things of eternity? To the the faithful servant, he says, Listen, you've been faithful with the resources I gave you, the master says. Now I'm going to put you in charge of some really important things. He'll put you in charge of many things. I think it's worth noting that Jesus is pointing a little bit to eternity here. Now it's a parable, so we've got to be careful that we don't draw too much from from this and what eternity is going to be like. But I think it's fair to draw the parallel that when we get to eternity, when God's kingdom fully breaks through and Jesus sets up shop and he's reigning here on earth in person, reigning over the whole earth, That those who have been faithful with things in this life will be given important tasks in the kingdom. And there will be tasks that are important and joyful. I was having a conversation with someone uh, a couple months ago. and uh, Like, you know, I can't even imagine what heaven's going to be like, but I sure hope we don't do nothing. Because that's going to be super boring. I'm a guy who likes to get stuff done. You betcha you're going to have important jobs. In the kingdom, we're going to be working, but it's going to be joyful working, not toil and labor. Those and how you handle your resources here makes a big difference there. If you're in the waiting room of life, you don't care. All you want to do is get in. I got my card. I'm in the club. But if you're on the battlefield, you get the idea of using your resources because what I do here matters there. I heard it once said, I think it was Randy Alcorn, said that uh, you can't take it with you. Talking about money. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. The way you use your resources here makes a difference there. Makes a difference in eternity. And so the, the master tells the faithful servant, Come and share in the happiness. Joy is tied to faithfulness. Our joy is God's joy. Go back to Thomas's message seven weeks ago. Uh, I've been thinking about that message ever since he preached it. Delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Our desires need to be God's desires. That's how about using your resources. When you use your resources for kingdom initiatives, for God's kingdom breaking through, when you use your time, your treasures, and your talents for God's glory, you buy into God's joy over your own. Look at verse 23. All right, in 23, uh, that's where he says, You've been faithful in a few things, I'll per- put you in charge of many. Then you skip to verse, uh, to the second guy, and, and basically the master tells the guy with two talents, lesser money, who also went out and doubled his money, he tells him the same thing he told the guy with five talents. So what we immediately see from the five-talent guy to the two-talent guy is the difference is not how much you started with or how much you ended with. It's what you did with what you had. The two-talent guy turns it into four and he's commended for how he used it. Jesus doesn't go, well, you know, if you would have turned the two into ten and had ten like the first guy, I'd be happier with you. No, he looks at how he used what God had given him, what the master had given him, and that he was faithful with it. These two masters understood that all their resources ultimately belonged to the master. The servant got that. All their resources belonged to the master. Using those resources as they were intended brought glory to the master and joy to the servant. Now, we come to the one servant guy. We come to the one talent servant. The one talent guy. Look at what happens in verse 24. Then the man who had received one talent comes. Now the pattern up to this point has been, look, hey, master, be happy I doubled what you gave me. You should be really pleased with me. The one talent guy knows that uh, he didn't do well. and So he starts with his excuse list. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. You harvest where you've not sown. In other words, you didn't put the seed in the ground, but you take the crop anyway. You gather where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. What was going on in in this servant's mind? When he got the one talent, I don't think he went, Well, that's not fair. Master, you gave him five and you gave the other guy two and you only gave me one. I'm mad. I'm going to dig hole- a hole in the ground. There. No, 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 no. This guy was afraid. He held the one talent. And he was shaking when he held it. You know, I don't know. I'm going to screw this up. I just know I'm going to screw it up because I'm just a one talent guy and I'm going to bury this in the ground. He was afraid. And he was really comfortable. He went out and said, okay, I don't want to screw this up, so I'll dig a hole in the ground. And I'll bury it. Now, you have to understand, we think that's foolish, right? That's like putting your money between your mattress so that interest will increase and your money will actually become worth less. And so we think that's foolish. But according to Jewish tradition, I mean, there was no Fort Knox, okay? In fact, the safest place to put your money was in the ground, according to Jewish tradition. If you wanted to be safe, you went secretly into a field, you dug a hole, you buried it in the ground. Uh, Remember the parable Jesus says that the kingdom will be like the guy who goes in the field and he finds a treasure in the ground, so he sells everything he has to buy the field so the treasure's his? That's not uncommon in Jewish days. Like, this was the bank. You found a secret place, you buried the money, you were going to be good. You knew that money was going to be good. Now, why did this guy do it? Because he was very comfortable. He went and he put it in the ground and he went, whew, it's FDIC insured. I'm all good. He was afraid. He was comfortable. And he was lazy. Let's be honest. As hard as digging a hole might be, that's pretty easy compared to having to go out and worry. And the guy was five talents, he's got, I mean, potentially like, what's, I can't do math, seven, eight million dollars? I mean, that's a lot to lose. That guy gets up every day and he worries about it and, he thinks i got a lot of responsibility here and he has to check on his investment and see how it's doing. And the five-talent guy had a lot of responsibility. The one-talent guy, eh, it's good. Secret hole in the ground. It's safe. I don't have to worry about losing it. Ultimately, the one-talent guy used his resources for his own comfort, not for the joy of the master. And if you read on, the master does not have good things to say for the one-talent guy. He says, take it from him, verse 26. Give it to the one who had ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even when he is given, will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, that's a bummer. And what we can see very clearly here... Is, is Jesus is saying God gives resources to believers and non-believers alike. Because it's, 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 it's faith in Jesus that gets us our sins forgiven. It's not uh, works or it's not things we do. It's, all, it's our faith in him. So you see the difference between the one who said, Jesus, uh, I trust in you and I want to be responsible with you given me. And the one who goes, I don't really care about the master. I'm in this for myself. Your resources aren't yours. They belong to God. How are you spending God's resources? How are you spending God's resources? How are you using your time? How are you using your money? How are you using your abilities? Are you using them for kingdom things? Are you investing in things that God wants? Are you sending them ahead? Investing in eternity? Or are you in the waiting room? Are you chilling out? Are you saying, I just want to be comfortable and happy? Are you in the waiting room or are you in the battlefield? I've been told by several soldiers that oftentimes in military service, one of the unique things about it is you're either fighting for your life or bored to tears. I mean, those are kind of... You're out and you're going 500 miles an hour or you're crawling like a turtle. It's, it's either... You know, feast or famine. And so uh, a soldier is either going five or 500 miles an hour. And so a good soldier understands that when things are five miles an hour and while he's waiting for action to happen, how he waits is important. A good soldier takes his weapon and he disassembles it and he cleans it, and he prepares it. He knows his weapon inside and out. He's prepared with knowledge of how his weapon works so that when, he's at, when things are going 500 miles an hour and his weapon jams, he can take that out without apart, clean it, fix it without thinking about it, and get back in the game. A good soldier practices with his weapon while he's waiting. A good soldier has his gear ready to go at a moment's notice. A good soldier spends time with his fellow soldiers. He knows them well. So that when he's in a battle, he doesn't have to communicate. He can almost know what their move and action will be. He trains his body. A good soldier runs, and he runs with a purpose so that he's in shape. He studies the intelligence reports. He's got his mind engaged while he's waiting. He uses whatever resources at his disposal while he's waiting for the battle. But a bad soldier doesn't prepare. He's lazy. He spends his resources on his pleasure, not on the mission ahead. How are you spending your resources? Are you in the waiting room or are you on the battlefield? Are you using God's resources for God's glory or for your pleasure? Because how you use your resources today matters. If you're just hanging out in a waiting room, not doing anything, you're missing something huge. You're missing that God's kingdom is trying to break through. It is breaking through right now through you and how you use every dime and how you use your time and how you use the talents and abilities God has given you matters right now. And so he's given you these things. He's given you time. Most of us think we have no time. We wear it as a badge of honor, our busyness. We live in a busy culture. Time is one resource that is shared Equally by every person. Everyone gets 24 hours in a day. I don't care if you're poor or you're rich. I don't care what skin color you are. I don't care what gender you are. We all get 24 hours in a day. Time is one resource, prioritizing is the issue. Will you give time back to God? Will you intentionally choose to give your life away? Because you don't give time unintentionally. No one goes, oops, I accidentally gave my time away. It's like you tripped. Oops, look at that. No. If you want to give your life away in our busy life, not wife, big mistake, um, big difference too. If you want to give your life away, there's a big difference between, nobody accidentally gives their life away. You don't give your time away. You have to plan and strategize for it. Prioritizing is the issue. You and I must prioritize and be intentional about giving our lives away. I heard of someone recently that he just made it a goal in his life. He realized he was busy, he really wanted to give his time away to other people, so he just set it as a goal two hours every week. I'm going to make sure two hours I'm intentionally invested. Because he realized he wanted to give his life away and he wanted to give his time away. And he thought it was a good idea. But if he didn't prioritize it and say two hours every week I will do this, he knew it would never happen. Now, I mean, it's important to know if he gives four or six hours away one week, he doesn't bank it. (laughs) Sweet, I'm free for the next two weeks. No, two hours every week he made it a priority. The only way to give your life away to other people is to be intentional. Otherwise, you and I default to selfish. We just default to selfish. We spend God's resource of time on us and not kingdom values. Time is a resource. Money is a resource. God wants you to give your money away. Okay, so, you know, I know that some people um, in the church today, nobody wants to talk about money. Nobody wants a pastor to talk about money. You know, if I say, can you whip out your checkbook and let's show it to each other right now? You say, Dave, you can go somewhere else. (laughs) Nobody wants to talk about money, and it's like the church has this reputation for twisting people's arms to, you know, we'll send the offering baskets around till they're as full as we need them to be, that kind of stuff. And so a lot of pastors are afraid to even talk about money. Now, the thing is, money is an important resource. It's an important resource. I love talking about money when we're not in the red as a church. It's great. I want you to give your money away, not for the church. But for you, you need to give your money away because how, giving your money away says God, your values are important. This is your resource. I get it. Some of you give no money to anyone. Some of you you give God a tip. you're like, oh, what's in the wallet today? Oh, I got five but I need oh, I need a soda. so God gets four. that's a good tip. And we're tipping God. Thanks God for helping me out. If you do, if you help me out more, your tip goes up. Help me out a little less, your tip goes down. But some of us think about, we forget this is not our money. This is God's money. It's His resource. This is for you. Because how you handle your money makes a huge difference in how you live your life. Choosing other things and giving your money away is important. You know, um... If we don't give God's resource away like He wants us to, it's hoarding. Have you seen uh, Have you seen these storage war shows? I don't know. Some of you have seen these or uh, um, hoarding, buried alive. Uh, these shows, right? Um, <laughs> that's crazy. Like people just we think, oh, look at those—they're hoarders. I'm glad I'm not a hoarder. Really? I think we're all hoarders. I think to some level, we all, I mean, you should see my garage, right? I'm a hoarder. We all say, these are my things and I have to have them. God says this is a resource. Give them away. Time, money, your talents, your abilities. God's given you abilities. Are you using them? Uh, Richard Dawkins, I don't know if you know, not, not the uh, Family Feud guy. That's Richard Dawson, yes. Richard Dawkins, the, the famous uh, atheist. He's written... Some books. The blind watchmaker he wrote in the 70s. Uh, The God Delusion, he wrote recently. His whole point, and he's a gifted biologist, and his whole point, he's taken it upon himself to disprove God. God gave him a talent and he's wasting it. His intellect was a talent from God. He used it for foolish ends. You and I are wired as servants of God's resources. We're servants, not masters of our time, money, and abilities. You and I get the most joy when we invest in God's resources. Okay, listen to me. I'm coming to a close. I realize our junior hires just got back, and they're very excited to see their parents. There they are over there. Wave to them. Hey, guys. All right, uh, hold on. This is important. Don't lose me, or don't let me lose you. Some of you say, okay, Dave, that's great. I want to give away my five talents or my two talents or one talents, but I'm just a one-talent guy. You say, I'm just a one-talent guy. I don't have things to give away. Well, first of all, one talent, if I'm right, and it's $1.5 million. Yes, you do. Um, The point is, everybody has a lot. But you're missing the point if you think you're a one-talent person. You have time and talents. Even if you're like, I don't have any money, you've got something. Start simple. Start what you have. My children are a treasure to me from the Lord. Benjamin has a deal. He wants a story every night. He's uh, eight, almost nine. Benjamin wants a story every night. With five kids, if every kid gets a story every night, that's tiring. <laughs> Bedtime takes like three hours. So uh, what we decided is, Ben, you get a story on Sunday nights, Tuesday nights, and Thursday nights. Am I right, Clarissa? Yeah, okay. Ben would tell me if I'm not. Sometimes it'll be Tuesday night, and Ben would go, Dad, it's Tuesday I get my Bible story tonight. You know how tired I am, Benjamin? Can we just go, you know, Noah built a boat. It was bad, but then it was good. Good night. And I'm like, Ben, I'm tired. I don't want to tell you a Jesus story tonight. But then I remember, this is a treasure. He's a treasure. So I start with Benjamin. Right now we're working through Jesus' life. Last night I... I, I talk through Jesus' disciple-making process with an eight-year-old. <laughs> I know, only a pastor does something weird like that. He's awesome, though. You know, uh, I, I start telling him, I, I tell him about the transfiguration and, and God's glory being made known in Jesus. Now, maybe I don't have a lot of money, but I got this treasure here in my family. Which servant are you? Be honest. Are you the wicked? If you choose safety instead of service, Repent recommit. Talk to your spouse about it. Don't just leave here. Go to your spouse. Would you leave in here? here, If you're with your spouse today, say, I need to talk to you about something. We'll do it later. You know, if you're not married and you're here today, turn to someone, go, I need some accountability. Help me. Let's talk later. Let's have coffee. Maybe you think, you know what? I am the faithful servant and I feel guilty knowing that (laughs) because that's how I'm wired. Don't feel guilty. Be grateful. Feel joy. Be like the five talent guy and say, "Master, look what I did! I'm using it well. God, be pleased." Our resources ultimately belong to God. Using those resources they were intended brings God glory and us. Okay, one last story, and I'm and I'm done. All right, I promise. Uh, I've been talking to Kim Dreyer a lot. Is Kim here today? They've got a family issue going on right now. Um, Kim is involved in the chainsaw ministry. I tell him he's on the chain gang. He doesn't see the humor in that that I do. But uh, he's in this chainsaw ministry. He and a bunch of guys uh, have made it their mission to go into towns and areas that have been wiped out by natural disaster and take down trees and and just love on people. And so one person will be talking with somebody. The other person's cutting down the tree and they haul away the wood. And you know, it's, really, it's really a cool deal, and Kim is so excited about it. And he's so excited about giving his life away. He tells, every time he takes a group out, inevitably he has someone new in his group. Every time he takes a group out to serve other people, he says this. Remember, we're not going out to serve God today. We're going to serve people and experience the joy of God working through us. You get it? One is, God, you're lucky that I'm serving you because I'm giving up my time for you. The other is, God, this is your time. Thank you that I get to be a part of giving this away to others. That's what giving our resources away is about. God's glory, our joy. Let's pray. God, we love you and um, thank you that I have a, a really good group of people who are willing to put up with my long preaching today. But God, convict us and encourage us. Do both today. Pray that your spirit would help us to use our resources and give our lives away for the glory of God and the joy of our lives in the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.